in life's journey, we must seek to reflect, learn, and grow. Welcome to the Road to Rediscovery with your host, Aubrey Johnson. Hello and welcome to another great episode of the Road to Rediscovery. I'm your host, Aubrey Johnson, and I am so excited that you are tuned in here with me. The Road to Rediscovery is about reflecting from life's lessons, to learn and grow from them, and of course, to take it to the next level and uplift others who are struggling. Now, we really, really have a treat for you today. My special guest has blazed an extraordinary path from a poor kid from Oregon to becoming an entrepreneur, to the CEO of multiple companies and hosting his own show. And guess what? His journey is not done. He's intrigued by real life stories and he intrigues others with his. He's an advocate and living testament to achieving greatness with hard work and persistence, no matter who you are or where you come from. He's also the host of the Jerry Brazy podcast. So ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to welcome Mr. Jerry Brazy. Jerry, how are you doing, man? Welcome to the show. I'm doing great, Aubrey. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Oh, man. No, it's a pleasure. We reciprocate. I'm, I'm very grateful that, uh, that you're on the show as well. So uh, let's start by painting the picture for our listeners, if you don't mind. Uh, can you share a little background on your formative years, your upbringing and family? Sure. So, and, and I think the, the formative years for my story, it is my story, uh, because I have, I'm, I'm the seventh child of nine. Uh, and I have, my parents had six kids by the time they were 22 years old. So my older six brothers and sisters are less than a year apart on it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So my mother had a zero-year-old infant and a five-year-old, six kids. And so seven years later, they had me, didn't want me to be an only child. So I have a little brother and a little sister. So there's nine of us. And, uh, okay. you know, grew up here in Portland, Oregon, uh, poor. I was stealing food. My little brother, I have a little brother. 22 months younger than I am. We were stealing food by the time we were eight or nine, 10 years old. Uh, pretty much, you know, the latchkey kids, my parents worked. Uh, there wasn't a lot of food. My parents or my older brothers and sisters were so much older than us, you know, that when food was tight, uh, they usually got to it first, although my mother would go to war over the, that the kids right. had it. Um, right. No education. Uh, lived on the streets at 17 years old. Mm. was uh, was a street kid, $25 a week flop house uh, with hookers and heroin addicts uh, from 17 to about 18 and a half. My and goodness. yeah, that was the, the I saw uh, five murders and three suicides by the time I was 21 years old. Uh, oh and goodness. that was just the life that I grew up in and kind of the life that uh, that I knew. Wow. Amazing, man. So yeah, you, you saw an awful lot at a very early age. Uh, I can think of um, many adults who are middle-aged now in their 40s and 50s who have not seen one death, you know, I mean, outside of the viewing at a funeral service. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the, 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 you know, I got my first job at 11 years old. You'll love this. I, I, I actually got a first, my first job at a restaurant uh, washing dishes at 11 uh, that I, I paid taxes. So I paid taxes to the federal government as 11. And I got a check at the end of the day for washing the dishes. And the check was $17 and change. Uh, I was making about $3 and 10 cents for the day. 
guy hands me the check. I took the check down to the local store, cashed it all for ones because yeah. on television, I saw all the rich guys and the drug dealers. They all, you know, had a, had a wad of, of, of bills that they could sit there and flip through. So yeah. I got all ones, So I would have 17 bills to, uh, to flip through and make it look like I, <laughs> I, I actually have some money. Uh, and, and the interesting part about that is I got my first job at 11 years old and yeah. I, I've never not had a job. Uh, I've never taken anything from the government as an adult and I've never missed a day of work. That is absolutely extraordinary, man. Absolutely extraordinary. So, so Jerry, in the early experiences of, of being in the workforce, 11 years old, incredibly young to, to have that exposure, uh, you obviously have the brain and the mind and the persona of entrepreneurialism. Um, can you can you share with us the very early stages where you started to to exercise that entrepreneurial spirit? Uh, it, was it something as simple as uh, I don't know selling? cups of lemonade and a lemonade stand or, or, or how, how, how was your experience in, in dabbling in, in the uh, uh, business owner type of uh, environment at an early age? So my, my story entrepreneurial wise is probably different than many people, or at least the way that I describe it. Uh, mm -hmm. I didn't know what the word, I don't think when I became an entrepreneur, I knew what the word entrepreneur meant. I don't know. You know, I was 20, I'm 51 years old now. I was 28 years old when I started my first company. And I'm pretty sure into my 20s, I had no sense what an entrepreneur was. Mm. So I wasn't, you know, I wasn't out selling uh, baseball cards or anything like that. I knew to always to just go to work. But my entrepreneurial right. spirit comes from the independence that I had growing up. And I'll give you, I have two epiphanies in my life uh, that I point to. And I'll tell you the first one. I was 14. That, and these epiphanies are kind of what drove me in towards the independence and the freedom and the risk taking that it requires to be an entrepreneur. Uh, okay. And so I learned that growing up. And so when it, when the, when the opportunity presented itself, I, I took that opportunity. I'm 14 mm. years old and I got rolled by four guys outside of a mall here in Portland rolled to anybody listening. I got robbed. Uh, yeah. And yeah. they put it, they put, they put it to me pretty good. And, uh, and rolled me underneath the bus stop bench and left me facing, you know, in, in towards the bench, uh, completely passed out because they, they put it to me pretty well. Mm. I wake up uh, and I got to get two buses to get home. And then I got about a two mile walk. My nose is broken, covered in blood. This is, you know, the 1980s. So not quite the yeah. same as, as today. Nobody really cared back then. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and I get That's off true. the bus. I have to transfer and I get off the bus where I'm going to transfer and I pass out under a tree in a park, uh, you know, wake back up a couple hours later. It's starting to get dark. I get on the next bus. I take it down to where I need to go. And now I have a two mile walk. Now I still live in Portland. And every time I drive by this spot, my wife just, she knows what's coming. There's the spot. I can tell you, Aubrey, exactly where I was when I had this epiphany. So I'm walking down the street. I'm covered in blood. I'm yeah. beaten pretty good. Both my eyes are black. And I'm holding the top half of my nose shut because uh, that's where it had been broken. I have a big notch on my nose now uh, all these years later. Mm. And I remember stopping and thinking. And, 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 and all at one time, the, ex the experiences I had had as a child growing up the way that I did to that point in my 14 or 15-year-old life, somewhere 14 to 15 years old, 
And I said to myself, Jerry, no one's going to help you if you don't, because I'm going to go home and there's nobody there for me. Right. And so if you don't do it for yourself, if you're not independent enough, if you don't take responsibility for everything in your life, if you're going to blame other people, you're going to get nowhere. You're going to end up like everybody else around you. And you need to make sure that you're responsible for everything that you do. You don't blame anybody else because you can only help yourself and no one else is going to help you. So it's easy to have the no one is going to help you, woe is me. I, for whatever reason, looked at it as no one's going to help me. I need to be responsible for everything else that happens in my life, regardless mm. of whether or not it's my fault. And so from that day forward, uh, I, and I use this and I teach this today, I'm responsible for everything. If it's not my fault, I should have done something to stop it from happening. And it's my responsibility. An employee does something that they shouldn't have. I didn't treat that, train them correctly. If they're mm -hmm. not trainable, I shouldn't have had them working for me. And that's been a critical factor in my success uh, as I became an entrepreneur because I already had those underlying disciplines that said everything is my responsibility. Just to finish off that story, I went home and for three days I laid on my bed and held the top of my nose shut until when I would let go of it, it would stop opening. And so that I, I held that bone for three days until uh, three days for three days. Yeah. Until it, uh, until it stopped coming apart when I let go of it and then I was good to go. Wow. So total and complete accountability for yourself, refusing to be and play the role of a victim or the blame game. Right. Uh, talk about life defining man, life yeah. defining. Uh, and, and you know the exact spot when when that thought came over you. And we're talking, what, 20, 25 years ago? I'm 51, and I was probably 14 or 15. Oh, longer, yeah. much longer. And, okay. And so that's the neat thing about where, we, where, you know, the things about the cities, and I've lived here my entire life, is I can go yeah. back to those places, and I remember very, very clearly uh, that spot. I mean, that spot's almost become a... Uh, Every time I tell this story, I want to get up and go drive to that spot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it had that much impact on my life. And I don't mm -hmm. know why I, you know, I was a very violent kid. I was a big kid. You know, I'm 6'4 and 260 pounds now. I was always a big kid. Uh, yeah. it, it, you know, a lot of rage and very violent. But I, I was smart enough to know how to work also. And so that epiphany at 14 that said everything is your fault, take responsibility for everything, I didn't take my rage out on others, and I was able to control that, uh, which is the direction that so many people that I was with and family went is because, you know, you rule your, particularly when you come from there, your, your emotions kind of direct you, and my emotions don't direct me at all. In fact, I, I'm, I'm fairly unemotional, and that's probably one of the, one of the, one of the reasons why that's. I got you. A very, very cerebral approach to things, uh, it sounds like, that, that you, you take. Right. Um, yeah. And that's um, the key to business. That's, that's the yeah. trick to business, at least from my perspective, is you got to be as unemotional as possible. There's no money to be made in emotion, from my perspective. Right, right. Very pragmatic. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I approach everything very analytically. Yeah. After all, it's business, right? Yeah, correct. Right. right. Yeah, it's, it's business. So, uh, would you say, well, let me ask you this, because you mentioned earlier when you were younger, you were, you were very violent, you had rage. Um, in retrospect, Jerry, 
quite simply put, were you angry? You're, you're, when you're a street kid, the, and you're always, and you're on your own, I don't think, I don't remember, it's like being poor. I didn't know I was poor until mm -hmm. you get to be 12 or 13 or 14 years old, and you're like, man, those guys have things that I don't have, or I'd like to have that, and I don't have it. All this cash. kind of, right. yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. And you're like, this sucks. I don't have that. And then you can start to hate your parents because you're poor, hate your family because you're poor or the, whatever the reasons are. Um, but as a kid, you don't realize that. So as a kid, you're angry because the world you live in is angry, right? The world you live in is violent. And so uh, that's, all you see. That, that's all you see. And to this day, as an example, I can't sit with my back to the door in a restaurant. Now it's stupid. I'm 51 years old. I live in the fat life. I got nothing to worry about. I got my three kids. <laughs> I got my right, wife, right. my mother-in-law. We're sitting yeah. there having, it doesn't matter. I can't. And it's funny. My kids will make fun of me because if I do try to do it unknowingly, unconsciously, I'll be turned to 90, a hundred, 120 degrees. So that I'm <laughs> facing the door. Yeah. Yeah. So, you gotta always be facing the door. Nice. Yeah. And so I, I just, it's just weird. Even if there's other doors, it's gotta be the door mm -hmm. that I came into. So those, you know, when you, 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 I don't know that I would say that I necessarily was angry and was aware of it. It's just that you're pissed off at the world because that keeps you sharp. Ah, uh, okay. Right. Okay. I, yeah, I don't remember yeah. being mad for the sake of being mad. I remember being mad because somebody was going to get me if I didn't, if I wasn't. And, and there's no sympathy either. So you have to, you know, if you're weak on the, if you're, if you're a street kid, anybody that comes from the streets knows what I'm talking about. You oh, yeah. can't show weakness. I don't care yeah. if you're six foot four and 260 pounds, you can't show weakness because that'll yeah. get a hold of you. Uh, and, and so, you know, you, you, maybe I just developed the mentality, um, that I was just going to be pissed off all of the time. And then that became kind of my default, but I don't remember being mad for the sake of being mad. If that's your question. That is. And thank you so much for clarifying that. In fact, um, you know, it, it, I I fully understand now um, to 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 be angry or mad for the purpose of keeping you sh keeping yourself sharp, uh, so you can respond and react when uh, something or an event takes place that that doesn't seem to go your way, uh, to where you know you you can uh, make your presence known. I guess you can you can say, you right. know, uh, man, uh, something you said, Jerry, sparked sparked a memory in in my brain. Um, I, I, you see, I'm a big boxing fan. Okay. I'm old school boxing. I mean, I'm, I'm not, a, never been a big fan of the UFC stuff, but old school boxing and, and all the greats from way back when, and I'm 51 as well. So, um, you know, I was even a boxing judge, uh, some years back, um, where I judge fights. So, um, there is a, uh, there's a gentleman who was a, a trainer, uh, named Teddy Atlas. In fact, Teddy yeah. was known for um, being in uh, Mike Tyson's corner. Yep. And, uh, and so uh, he worked with Customato, who, you know, Cus discovered Mike Tyson. Well, anyhow, Teddy Atlas, he wrote this book called Atlas, um, From the Streets to the Ring. And it's talking about the journey from his journey from boy to manhood. And so, uh, and I'll make this quick, but uh, something he said in that book that I read made it very, very profound and you touched on it. 
And, and, and to me at first it was counterintuitive, but then he broke it down and I'm like, ah, that makes sense. He had to do some time up in Rikers. All right. And so while he was doing his time in Rikers, uh, he was talking about, you know, guys, they show, you show weakness and, and they're going to be, they're going to be riding you every day. Okay. Whether it's in the cell, whether it's out in the yard, whether it's in the cafeteria, you know, at the lunch uh, for chow, they're going to be riding you every day if you show any weakness. So his mindset was the first one that said something to him that he didn't like, he cracked him one. And that's, that was his words. He said he cracked him one. And, and, and what he explained was it was easier for him to do that than to not do anything. And he was thinking long-term. He said, it would be harder to do nothing because then you would have to put up with it every day from that point on. But the easier way, if you do it right, you crack them a good one, they're not gonna mess with you. And when he broke it down that way, man, I just thought, wow, that does make sense, you know? Yeah, it's harder to do nothing because you have to put up with it every day. And, uh, and, and, and I don't know, to me, when you were just talking about, you know, staying mad or angry to be sharp so that you can respond, um, just reminded me of that. I just thought I'd share that real quick. Yeah, and, that, and I think my takeaway from that story, and I love that story, I wrote that down, I'm going to have to read that book, uh, is that it's always harder to do the right thing in my life. The right thing has always been harder to and so in this case, uh, the hardest thing for him to do in the short term was to throw that punch because God knows what's going to happen to him. Right. But in the long run, it's the right move to do. And that is probably, that's, that is my philosophy in business and really in life. The easy decision, if it's easy, I always stop myself. Go, okay, what, are, what, what am I not seeing? Because this decision is way too easy. There's <laughs> that's right. Be a, that's right. There's, there's got to be a harder one. And that harder one is typically the one that, uh, that we want to go after um, because that'll be the one that will pay off the most. But it's yes, harder sir. to make that decision. Uh, and is. that's with, without a doubt. I agree with that 100%. I should oh, say, yeah. too, as part of that epiphany, and it goes, it lends itself to my story. When I was 13, my older sister died on her 21st birthday. Uh, mm. if you can imagine that, uh, oh had a heart gosh. disease that killed her. And then six months later, I went blind in my right eye. And so when I talk about rage, uh, and you talk about the things that make you angry again, I don't remember specifically being this, the case so long ago, but yeah. it's easy to start to add up, you know, my life from, from old enough to remember until I'm a teenager and you start to have things happen to you in, in, in a row like that. And then I'm 14, 15 years old, blind in one eye. My sister just died. I'd lived this life that I had. These guys yeah. rolled me. And here I yeah. am with my nose broken. And this yeah. epiphany hits. And I think that epiphany could hit, could go the opposite direction too, which is, I mean, realistically, and I can tell you stories, I should be in jail or dead. That's, that's where I was headed. That's where mm. I should have been. Um, right. But for, uh, for a, a, a myriad of reasons, uh, it's some of them lucky, some of them unlucky. I'm sitting here talking to you today. I tell you, man, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's the way of the universe, man. I mean, um, even the most, what may seem at the moment, the most trivial of decisions or directions that you take as you navigate through your life, 
all led you to this conversation we're having today. Yeah, and and Aubrey, you couldn't be more right. I'll tell you, I'll tell you the critical story. I have a crit- I have that point in my life, a critical yes. story. So yes. I have that epiphany when I'm 15 years old. Uh, my parents, after my sister died, they moved them on, picked up and moved them on. Took my little brother and my little sister, my older brothers and sisters. I mean, all they were all pregnant, and married, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, as teenagers. And my brothers were in jail or on the streets, the same as I was. Uh, and so when I was 13 or 14, when I, about the year I went blind, so I was 14, and the I met a youth pastor at a at a school that I was going to, and he was a youth pastor, and right. he he recognized something in me, and he took me and let me live with him and his wife and his two young daughters. They were four or five years younger than I was. Okay. And I remember the first day uh, of school, we're going to go to school and they hand me a lunchbox. The lunchbox is one of these big, you know, industrial lunchboxes that you see the guys, you know, building buildings would take this yeah. big gray thing. And I popped it open and the top was a whole thing of canned peaches. And I thought, okay, uh, these, these, there's four or five peaches in there. Everybody gets one. And she's like, that's yours. All of this food is mine. And she says, yeah, <laughs> two sandwiches, there's potato chips, there's this whole can of peaches, a fork. I, you know, wow. I, again, this is more lunch probably than I had ever compiled in my entire life. And I'm right. carrying it. So that guy, I, now I ran my welcome out at about nine months and, and rightfully they, they sent me on my way and back out onto the street I went. But mm-hmm. in that nine months, I saw how a family operated. I saw a guy who played catch with me and took me to sporting events and we went on a vacation. I didn't even know what a vacation was. I bought my first meal with money I earned, uh, if you can imagine that. So in this guy and in this family, I saw somebody uh, and said to myself, oh, there's a normal world out there. There's a world that's completely different than mine because it removed me from the street. It removed me from this life that I had had. And they, they, nine months in, I, I wear out my welcome. But I say what this guy did for me and what I'm trying to do here by talking to anybody that I can is that he, I'm like, I was like a stone. And rather than just slide along the water, I skipped off. I didn't have a hockey stick. It didn't go straight up. And all of a sudden, I became the greatest person ever. But over right. the course of the next decade, uh, the lessons that I saw started helping me make decisions, consciously or subconsciously, uh, right. until I was 28 years old and it was time to have I didn't have kids because I was never going to have kids. And then as I matured and it started to come together, uh, based on unknowing to uh, unknown to me, the, the lessons that this guy had taught me when I was a pissed off 14 year old kid. Um, and just to finish that story, come forward about 35 years. I finally realized as my children are becoming teenagers, I, I had to find this guy. So I tracked him down, went to dinner with him and his wife. And I said, look, if, if somebody had the effect, if I had the effect on somebody that you had on my life, I would want them. To, I would want them to know that. So I had to track you down to tell you that this was the the effect that you had on my life. Subsequent to that, we go to Dodger games uh, all the time. We're big Dodger fans. But there was a 35 year difference between when I left and when I talked to him again. Uh, and really, I wouldn't have been sitting there if it wasn't for that point where that person was was had had that impact on my life in a very short amount of time nine months nine months one school year jerry man you closed that loop 35 years later you say is that 35 yeah yeah uh i was 14 and we got together when i was 45 my goodness man yeah man 
you close that loop. And you know what? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to understand both perspectives, right? I mean, from your perspective, I totally see that uh, uh, after nine months, like you said, you wore out the welcome. They rightfully sent you on your way, but it wasn't without learning something, right? And uh, and 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 I, I think you kind of alluded to this earlier when you said this. But at the time when you're going through something, or you are, um, well, back in the ghetto days of me growing up, it was called checked when someone checks you. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, it, it's. Uh, there's a lesson to be learned from that. But at the time, I think the lesson or, or at least the awareness of the lesson is almost always in retrospect. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, there's, I, I mean, it took me decades to recognize. So, you yeah. know, as I, when I started my first business at 28 years old, I didn't have any concept. And I had my first child. Old. I had no concept that I was there largely because of the influence this person had on me. I didn't realize that, honestly, Aubrey, probably till I was 40. And, and 40. Just start to take, and I always say, you don't know anything about 40. People used to tell me that when I was a kid, and I hated it. I hated it. But you just, yeah. I, I don't think you've lived enough life, regardless of how much life you've lived, until yeah. you're 40 years old. You just haven't seen enough. And for me, yeah. that data bank uh, kind of got full. Uh, that hard drive got full. And yeah. I was able to start putting those pieces together and connecting the dots. You had enough mm -hmm. maturity to, to, to do that, that I recognized that probably about 41, two years old. And like I mm -hmm. said, by the time I was 45. I... Wow. So, uh, so, so the gentleman 35 years later that, you know, you, 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 you reached out to him, located him. Can you imagine his heart right uh, now? knowing the impact that he had on you. And this almost comes full circle, man. I mean, you know, there are some people that we cross uh, or encounter in our lives where, you know, we, um, you know, we share moments with them um, and, you know, they with us and, and, and then you go separate ways and, and you, you, you almost never see them again. And, I don't know, 10, 20 years later, you're, you're, you're washing dishes one day and you just look up out the window and you think, man, I wonder where so-and-so is. I hope he's okay. Uh, you know, wonder what he's doing with his life. Right. Uh, and then for you to come back into his life, you know, and, 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 and say, Hey, this is the impact you had on me. This is what I've learned, you know, and, and, and your friends to this day, that is amazing. Well, that's it. And to give some context to that, uh, he was, he's, he, he's one of 13 brothers and sisters, grew up in uh, Rancho Cucamonga, uh, Southern California, L.A., yeah. uh, and was a huge Dodger fan. And again, I live in Portland, Oregon, so the closest team is the Mariners, and I'm a huge baseball fan, a huge sports a huge sports fan, I should say. And yeah. he introduced me to the Dodgers, and he took me to a Dodger game on vacation in L.A. Ever since my wow. three kids were little, my kids are 23, 21, and 18 now, for yeah. 15 straight years, we go down to L.A. We pick the week that the Dodgers are in town the most, and we'll go spot. We will go to L.A., rent a house. The kids get to swim during the day, and six, seven, eight games of Dodger games, since they're old enough to remember, has been our family vacation in the summertime. Beautiful. This was before I had any idea that this guy had had this impact on me. Um, so, I mean, it's 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 – Throughout my my whole life, and probably the thing I feel worse about, if I feel, 
to the extent that I do is I went that 30 years and never thought about it. You know, I, I it just, again, you grow up the way, and this is more of an excuse, I suppose, but the way I grew up, yeah. you're, it's what it's in front of you that you deal with. There's no time for emotional right. uh, kind of memories and what might've happened to you or what did happen to you. You got to let all that stuff go. I mean, again, right. I saw people murdered right in front of me on multiple occasions. You, you just go to the next day and that's what you live in, what's in front of you, not what's behind you. And so that's where I say I had to mature and, and literally decades had to go by for me to get far enough away from that, for me to draw from it the lessons that subconsciously I had learned, but consciously I wasn't. And that's where the rediscovery comes in. Yes, exactly. Brilliant. Absolutely groundbreaking. Absolutely groundbreaking. And, and one other thing, and, 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 and please help me understand this or, 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 you know, redirect me if I'm off base, but I kind of detected the shift is the time when you spent with the family. Okay. Um, so the shift, I mean, is uh, from the very, very hard knocks, rough street life, uh, getting jumped and, and, you know, and, and seeing all this tragedy around you uh, and getting, you know, beaten up. Uh, you, you have that happening and then your family leaves and, and then you're, you move in with this family and you start to see how other families operate and function and live. And you have more food for yourself than you had your entire life up to that point amongst your siblings. And, 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 and then, you know, you're going on vacations. And so now there's this shift that starts to help you realize, Hey, you know what? There is another way to live. There's another way to live. Is that where the shift started to happen? I mean, because, you know, if, if, in my mind, if that's where the shift started to happen, then I could see how once you got kicked out after nine months, how you, over time, would catapult to where you are now. Yeah, I think, the, uh, again, the, the way I describe it is uh, I was a, a, a stone that skipped off of the water. So that stone gotcha. doesn't turn and go straight up, right? right? It just right. kind of ri rises. And if you look two decades out into the future, you would see that stone would be well above the, the water. Uh, and that was the trajectory uh, that I went. And there was a few times that I hit the water again and then skipped, right? Yeah. And went yeah. back down and skipped. Right. Uh, and ultimately then took off. Um, but the, the most stark example I have is of what he instilled in me. I'm 17, 18 years old now. Remember, I'm a brute of a human being. I'm a big guy. Yeah. Uh, and I had a guy uh, under my boot, uh, literally. And I'm the, the fight's over, and I'm going to bring that foot down. And all my energy and all my anger, everything I had coming and the, the life had treated me, all of that's in my leg and going to come down and, and, and my leg is off the ground. I can't, I can't overemphasize the last second ability or the last second of this. And in my head, I heard a voice. Now I, I don't, you know, I'm not an overly religious person. I don't know. You know, it, it was God telling me, no, it was Jiminy Cricket. It was my conscious. It was whatever it was. Uh -huh. A voice told me, don't do it. That's uh -huh. enough. Uh -huh. you, that's enough. You've won this one. If you go this next step, you're never coming back from it. Mm. Aubrey, I had that happen to me twice. Twice between 17 years old and 20 years old. Two different wow. times. 
where I would wow. be in jail or dead because of the, what I was doing. Uh, and that voice kicked in and that voice was as clear as you are in my ears right now. So much so that it stopped me. If you can imagine, you know, Tiger Woods gets so much credit for being able to stop his backswing because somebody coughs or sniffles yeah. or something. And they're like, yeah. oh, that's incredible. I mean, you're talking about raising your foot up and bringing it down in a fit of rage. Only the foot doesn't come down because somebody yells in my ear not to do it. I can only credit that to, to this person because there's nowhere else I would have learned that. In fact, what I learned the other way was finish the job, right? Because you got to right, take care right. of that because that guy's going to come get you if you don't get him. Yeah, or his yeah. buddies are going to get you if you don't get him. I mean, you know, there's this law of the street that you have to live by. But that voice yeah. was so loud that it told me not to. So that, yes, in very little, now, I wasn't conscious of it. I'm like 10 years later before I really start giving it the credit that, that it was doing. Well, wow, yeah, that, it's in retrospect, right? It's yeah. in retrospect, yeah, <laughs> without a doubt. And at the yeah. time, I'm like, yeah, I won that one, and you march, and you know, you walk away. Wow. Wow. Uh, man, you know, um, you, you, you spoke about the, uh, the metaphor um, or visual of the, the rock skipping, you know, you, you, you hit a certain part, you shoot up and then you come back down and so forth. So um, I don't know, kind of, kind of in line with that. I wanted to ask you as, as a businessman um, who has a very cerebral approach to, you know, business decisions and, and uh, encounters uh, let's talk about goals for a minute. Goals. All right. Uh, now, we all know um, the road is long. You have had a long journey and you're still on it. Um, some people have some sort of, I guess, a final destination of where they want to be. And they know that very early on in their lives. And they use that as their, quote, beacon through every stage of their life. So, you know, um, no matter where they are, they know that's the end goal. That's the destination. That's the goal line for sports metaphor. I'm a sports fan too. And then you have those who have what I, what I guess are called incremental goals, right? Um, the goal is, uh, the, quote, the current chapter of their life. Whatever they're going through in that chapter of their life, they have a goal for that. And once they reach that and they move into another chapter or season of their life, then they have a goal for that. Uh, my question to you, Jerry, uh, is uh, what are your thoughts? Is, is one strategy better than the other, or is it just how you're made in your line of thinking when it comes to setting goals and achieving them? Uh, what are your thoughts on, on either or both? I, I consci consciously, I'm not aware of any time I set a specific goal, reached it, moved on to another goal at, towards, as it pertains to my success. Okay. I, I've had goals in 2002, Ford announced that they were coming out with this $160,000 Ford GT, yeah. uh, this supercar. And I've been a big Ford fan, uh, the supercar fan. And I thought that was the neatest thing I ever saw. So I told my brothers at the time, I'm going to own one of those. Now, I couldn't have been further away from owning one of those if I tried. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> I said, I'm going to own one. And I yeah. bought a 2005 model in 2006, brand new, right off the showroom floor. Mm -hmm. And so I worked. And I did never forget, I'm going to buy that car. So everything I'm going to do, I'm going to work double time to make sure I get there. So there's, that's an example of, uh, you know, something that I wanted to go purchase that helped me, uh, that, that then I worked to get there it, right. in a bigger picture though. I mean it, I, 
you got to understand, I, when I was 21 years old, I bought a house just because an opportunity presented itself. I didn't know what a mortgage was. I didn't know what an interest rate was. I have zero education, right? I didn't know. I didn't know what any, I didn't know what a refi was. I had no idea what anything was, but I took wow. somebody's advice who said I needed, I paid 12% interest on an $84,000 house. I lived in one room in the entire house. The rest of the house was empty. Never turned the heat on because I grew up with no heat. I just put coats on. I had no idea, but now I own this house. Um, it wasn't a mission of mine to, okay, first I'm going to buy a house, then I'm going to buy this. So I bought right. that house. Uh, and that's kind of then I used that house to refi, uh, you know, to my, my business on three separate occasions. Uh, and so as I went, I gathered information. I was a sponge for it. Uh, and I gathered information and then whatever that could, whatever opportunity would walk in front of me, I would try to take advantage of. So, gotcha. because you have to understand, I equated work with food. So I didn't mm -hmm. equate work with success or work with reaching a goal. My I goals see. were all very short term. I go to work, I eat. I don't go to work, I don't eat. And to this day, I still live by that just because it's so, in, you know, it's grained in me from the time I was 11 years old. Yeah. Work yeah. equals food. And so uh, my, that's my approach. So if I'm sick, I come to work. Yeah. I, I just, I had yeah. my eye, sir. I had my eye taken out for surgery one time. I had it done at six o'clock in the morning because I had a 930. So oh, I go to the Jerry, mirror with my, with my eye bleeding. Yeah. No, oh, I'm not. I, you don't understand. <laughs> man. I, yeah. That's I'm hardcore. Crazy. I'm hardcore. Um, but you know, I don't, I don't, I, 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 and it's tough for me to tell these stories because it sounds like I'm, you know, self-serving and I'm bragging. I, I just no, no, no. To give it some context to yes. a, what's possible, uh, and, and, and kind of what I've gone through to get where I am. And, and the whole point in me doing this, if I could just go back to a point you made earlier about sure. the stone skipping, yeah. my whole point in doing this is I hope one person I do, I don't know, I've done hundreds of these podcasts. I want to get, and I'm, you know, I have, I own big companies and I'm busy, but I, I, I do this on almost daily basis because I want one person to hear me and who, who might be in a similar situation or maybe not in as bad a situation, but goes, good God, if that guy could do it, I got nothing to complain about. Very hard for that message to come through. But if I can get to one person who hears this message, that's really what I'm trying to do is I just want people to know what's possible because the, society we live in today and the world that we have everybody's telling you you can't the system's rigged against you and the government yeah. hates you and some banker back in new york is controlling your fortunes or that rich guy that lives on the hill he's responsible yeah. for uh, you know why you don't have anything and that's just all lies it's not true and i'm the living embodiment of that and i want one person to hear that story and then aubrey 10 years from now they're going to go man i I was listening to that Road to Discovery podcast with Aubrey, and he had that one crazy dude on that just told the most outlandish stories. That guy, <laughs> I don't even remember his name, but, man, here I find myself now at a crossroads. And if I go right, that's the easy way. And if I go left, but he said go left, and he had success. So I'm going to do that, and then, I, then I'll die happy because I, I got to that one person. That's what I'm trying to do because of the impact one person had on my life. It resonates. It totally resonates. Yeah, uh, that that's uh, yeah, that's that's a huge message. You touch one person, that's success. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's success. And so, um, and and man, that's like a perfect segue to this 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 other question I had for you, Jerry. Uh, you know, there's a lot of 
well, young, middle-aged. I mean, you know, people are starting their own business at many ages now. But um, there's a lot of aspiring business owners. <sighs> they have an ambitious mindset. And they're eager about a product or service that they're going to launch. And, and then, you know, there's, uh, oh, I don't know, delusions of grandeur, right? Where they're like, oh, I'm going to make this and I'm going to, uh, I'm going to license this product and I'm going to multiply and franchise here and there. And, and they have these huge aspirations, right? And so, uh, you know, especially when you're young, there's not much forethought uh, that the youth has unless they were coached to have that forethought. Otherwise, uh, people with this type of ambition would have or expect instant dividends for their work, you know, like almost an instant gratification. Uh, but the reality is, as you and I know, you know, and, and most of us know that not only the fact that this journey is a marathon, not a sprint, but the reality is also the eminence of failures, setbacks, and adversities, all right? Uh, it's imminent. I mean, you're not going to succeed unless you have some failure. So what is your advice for aspiring business owners for navigating these obstacles and staying the course? See, this is an easy one. Uh, it's easy because this is almost, uh, the answer to this question has almost become cliche, and now, and which right. means that it gets ignored. And that is that if it's easy, it's you're on the wrong path. You're not going to make it. If, if you have some plan, I think the, I think the term entrepreneur has been stolen. It's, it's not oh, yeah, used correctly uh, because entrepreneur yeah. today can be, uh, you know, somebody at Facebook that's 28 years old and is worth $4 billion because they invented <laughs> an app. Uh, and everybody sees his fat lifestyle and he's on, he's got 10 million followers. And that's what, that's the direction I want to go. Uh, and that's just, they're called unicorns for a reason. They don't exist. Oh, sure. And yeah. the reality is very differently. The reality is, is 15 to 18 hours a day, risking everything that you have mm -hmm. day in and day out, six, mm -hmm. seven days a week for decades. And that's how you, that's how you find success. When I started my business at 28, I had no idea. Somebody sent me a pro forma to look at. I had no idea what I was looking at. I'd never even heard of such. A thing. I didn't know what a balance sheet or a, or a P and L was profit and loss statement. I had yeah. no idea. And so in my head, I said, man, Jerry, you better shut up and listen. Cause there's a lot you don't know about going, what's going on, what's going on in the world. And so yeah. I quit my job and went and started this new company. I had a, a, a nine month old son at home and a half built house. I didn't get money for the next year. I went referee basketball from six o'clock at night until midnight, five nights a week. And then Saturday and Sunday, I would do nine games both Saturday and Sunday while starting my business that I own still today, 22 years later, literally wow. working 20 hours a day, literally. Wow. And yeah, so you hear, you hear those stories all the time. You go, that can't be real. I could show you the check stubs. I had people here that were with me. Uh, yeah. I, one day I worked, I had a major competitor go out of business and I worked eight days with a 45 minute nap on the third day and management that I have with me today, we're working 20 hour days going home and coming back. So that's, you know, we hear that so much, but then we see the guys online and it's so easy and you can do a drop ship this and you can do a forex yeah. that, and yeah. you know, you can sell online and you just got to get yeah. your sale funnel together. And it's just a giant scam. 
There's 75 trillion, 75 trillion people trying to do it. The, the margins yeah. are super thin. You're going yeah. to lose money. There's no easy way. If it's not hard, you're doing it wrong. Love it. Love it. It's so true. And, you know, Jerry, I kind of liken it to the, um, oh, I don't know, uh, let's say uh, the Oscars or the Grammys. Um, you know, for the Grammys, for instance, uh, you watch them, their awards, uh, best artists of the year or whatever. And so they announce his or her name or the group's name and they come up and they accept it. You see the glitz, you see the glamour, you see the award, you see the acceptance speech and, and, and you even listen to the music, right? But what don't you see, right? Because it's what you don't see that is the true substance. It's not walking up. That's the result, okay? Right. That's the result. But the true substance is everything that led up to it, right? It's, it's those very, very late night hours in the studio, frustrating and cussing each other out because you have to play this, this melody for the 5,000th time in the same night. It's the tours and, and, and taking baths out of bathroom sinks, you know, and, and, and it's, you know, it's trying to figure out how are you going to pay for braces for your child? Because being a musician, you know, it's not like you work for a corporation where all the benefits have you and your family covered, you know, it's all those things that, 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 that play a part in the hard work, blood, sweat, and tears. And you got to keep at it. You got to keep at it. It's not overnight. It's not instant. It's hard work to your point. You know, I'll give you a perfect example of that. Yeah. I had a a guy that I met when I worked at McDonald's 16 years old. He was big into computers. He worked, uh, he worked with me. I worked at McDonald's for nine months, by the way, just interestingly enough, I use systems that I learned at McDonald's when I was 16. I use them today in my and I have forever. So everybody should go do those jobs uh, because they teach you a ton. So I'm working with the, with Chan is his name. And then I lose track of him over the next, I don't know, 10 years or so. And then he shows up at my door. I'm about 30 years old. And he was looking for a job during the dot-com bust in 2000. And I had an IT opening at my company. And so I hired him. Now he's worked for me for 20 years. Uh, but about 2006, after I bought that Ford GT, which I never drove, I now I'm going to drop <laughs> by my daily driver. So I wanted to buy this $138,000 uh, Mercedes-Benz CLS 55 AMG with this full Rentec upgrade, insane yeah. car, right? 617 uh-huh. horsepower. Oh my gosh! And and but my park where I parked was right in front of the office where all the customer service people were, and so I yeah. was conflicted because I I try to stay humble, and I was conflicted about you know these guys are making 15 bucks an hour and I'm going to pull up in front of a hundred forty thousand dollar car. And so I went and asked some of the people that I had known for their opinion. Chan, yeah. who'd known me since yeah. I was dirt poor at 16, says to me, what do you care, man? I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do what you do. They don't see what you do. He said, I don't have the risk tolerance that you do. I wouldn't put it all on the line the way you have. I won't work. I want to go home and I won't work like you do. I won't sacrifice like you do. So right. I realize I can't have the things that you have because I'm not willing to do the things that you've done. That accept it. My- Correct. And he was happy with that. He said, you got to go buy that car. I'm happy for you. The bigger your car, the faster your car, the more expensive your car, the better I feel about my job. 
right? The better <laughs> right. you do, the better I feel about my job. My mother, yeah. I called my mother. I said the same thing to her. And she's like, the hell with those guys. That's right. right? They don't know what That's you've right. come through and what you've done. So nope. they're, they're only going to see, oh, must be nice to be driving a $140,000 Mercedes. And you just have to ignore that because that's what people are going to do when they're yeah. not willing to do what they should. That's right. That's right. You know, and if they're not willing to do it, then clam up. Just right. clam it up, you know? Right. Ah, it's easy to judge. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, all right, man. So, uh, Jerry, this is the point in this wonderful conversation where we're going to switch off to a segment I like to call Three for the Road. And Three for the Road, I will ask you three short yet thought-provoking questions uh, that I'm going to challenge you to try to answer in five words or less. Now, you know, one thing I say is when, whenever it comes to like in-depth engaging conversations, when you give your response, if you feel, the com- if you feel compelled to flow, all right, uh, b- because because you're on a good roll with the response and it goes beyond five words. Hey, man, it's all good. Let it flow, right? Uh, but it's just a fun little challenge to try to answer in five words or less. You think you're up for it? Let's do it. Right on, Jerry. Okay, three for the road. Question number one. Here we go. You're sent to a deserted island for one year and can only bring three non-electronic items what do you choose uh a shovel a match and some sort of lean to a shovel a match and i'm sorry some sort of some sort of lean to some sort of cover okay all right okay i can i can dig it question number two you gotta do better than that that was easy yeah that was <laughs> question number two fill in the blank the one thing I want young people to learn that was hard for me to learn growing up is. That is a good one. Um, I'm going to say that generally people have the best of intent. All right. Very hard sure. for me to learn to trust people. That take part. Trust is a big part. Yeah. People have the best of intentions. Yep. Nice. I'm digging it. I'm digging it. All right, Jerry, question number three. What is the most valuable thing you've learned from your hardships? The most, um, the, how much I love my family. How much you love your family. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it all comes down to. It all comes down to, you know, And here, let me expand just a little bit. I'll take you sure. up on your, on your offer just a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Please do it, it. Everybody's heard the story and heard the hours and all that. But what, what you haven't heard is, again, my children are, are, are grown now, 23, 21, and 18. But 80% of the time growing up, I was always home to say goodnight. I had a thing I did with them every night. I'd come in, they'd be ready to go to bed. I'd sit on their bed, wrestle with them for a minute. And if you ask them today, they'll answer the question. Uh, I would say goodnight. What are you going to? I said, what are you going to be when you grow up? And their answer was always whatever I want. I said, how are you going to get there? They said, I'm going to be smart. I'm going to be work smart. Mm. So I'm going to work hard and I'm going to be smart. That's how I'm going to do whatever I want to do. 80% of the time growing up, time with your kids, I believe, is quality over quantity. And when you're obsessed with quantity, i.e., I got to be home by six 
so that I can eat dinner at seven, but then the kid goes to bed at eight, and then I sit on the couch for three hours, go to bed, get up and start all over again, and then complain about not having time, which so many of us do. That's just not reality. That quantity time, my kids are good kids. They're well-adjusted. They're some of my best friends. Uh, mm -hmm. And you can have it both ways. You just have to manage that. And the times that I couldn't make it, my wife would bring a little picnic lunch and, 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 and we'd sit out front of the office and, and we'd eat. Or when I had a particularly bad day, she'd load their bikes up and bring them down. And I would get the biggest joy, Aubrey, out of watching them ride their bikes. They're three, four, five, six years old around the circle in my parking lot. And no matter what happened to me at home, at work, I was always able to point to that and go, oh, man, I feel better. And then you watch your kids, and I'm like, I'm going to go destroy the earth. I can do anything yeah. I want yeah. because am I going to let those little dudes down? Not a chance. It's easy Not to let chance. Aubrey down. It's easy to let somebody else down. But them little right. guys riding around on that bike, look how happy they are. I was yeah. stealing food when I was their age, and now look what they get to do. I'm going to go yeah. crush it. Oh, so, no doubt. No doubt. There was, I, mean, uh, I answered your other ones really quick. I had to. <laughs> had to elaborate a little bit on that one. Well, no, I appreciate that, man. I mean, you know, um, being a father myself, my son is 22. He is a senior at the University of Kentucky. He's played football all his life. Um, I've coached him early years growing up. And so he is uh, going to wrap up this year and he's engaged. And so, you know, he's a well-adjusted kid. And I am totally in lockstep with you, man, when it comes to quality over quantity okay yeah. i mean you're around the kid you're around your children all the time if you don't build that equity with them by doing quality things and having moments of motivation and learning uh and and fun then the quantity is moot in my view okay that's right it's, it's what you do with that time if it's less time that's okay but you make that less time impactful, that's where the substance is. So I'm in lockstep with you there. I never missed as busy as I was. Again, I've had, I've bought and sold, we didn't talk about this. I bought and sold a dozen companies. Yeah. We've done almost $500 million over 20 years. So wow. I, from scratch, from nothing, from the story that you heard, yeah. I never missed a kid. Of it. I never missed a baseball game. I never missed a play. I never missed a recital, a dance, a father, daughter dance, nothing. I never Beautiful. missed a single one. Now, Man. I would go to it, go through it, go hit the snack shack, sit in the car for a while with the kids. Mama would take them home, or I'd follow her home to say goodnight and then go yeah. right back to work, and I'd work till 1 o'clock. My so gosh. It, it wasn't Here. that I wasn't able to do that, or, you know, but I had to be disciplined to do that. But those kids got two hours of daddy time that they remember for the rest of their lives. They, don't yeah. re they remember me working hard and always being there. Yep. It can be done. It is, it is, it's a myth that it can't be done. Because I'm sitting here and I did it. Anybody who knows my kids will tell you exactly what I'm telling. Amazing. Living proof. Yeah. Living proof. Jerry, man, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show, chatting with me, sharing with the listeners a glimpse into who Jerry Brazy is, uh, your journey, and, and just being quite transparent in some of the rough uh, encounters that you've had. But you know, also sharing how those rough encounters has, uh, has, has strengthened you, Jerry. So, uh, thanks so much for being on the show, man. Absolutely. No, I, I appreciate you having me on. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And for all the listeners out there, if you want to tune into Jerry's show, the Jerry Brazy podcast, I will make sure that the direct link to his podcast will be in the episode show notes, as well as his website, jerrybrazy.com. 
com. So look for that in the upcoming episode show notes. Uh, and I have together. a new, if yeah. I can interrupt you real quick, I have a Absolutely. new, uh, a new Facebook group that I've just started the successful mindset. Uh, and it's essentially kind of a bunch of guys that I'm trying to bring together and grow a community, uh, not based on essentially what we've been talking about here and direct access to me as well as other people uh, to kind of come in and just talk about what, 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 what are the things that, uh, that make us successful. So it's brand new. It's got a couple of hundred people uh, members now, and I'm trying to grow that and get that started. So the successful mindset uh, is my Facebook Thank you, Jerry. And uh, for all the listeners out there, that is the successful mindset. And we'll make sure that the uh, Facebook page uh, name will be on the show notes as well with a direct link. And make sure you like it and join the group. All right. Wonderful. Uh, so once again, everyone, thank you for tuning in, listening to this wonderful conversation. I invite you to subscribe to uh, via Apple Podcast, if you haven't done so yet. And please feel free to leave a rating and a short review. We're all roadies on this journey of life, and it sure feels good having you on the road with me. For the Roads Rediscovery, this is Aubrey Johnson. Once again, thanks for listening. We'll chat again soon. The Road to Rediscovery is an AJ Shark production.